0: Right, so we are in Zechariah once again, uh, in, in chapter 6, and as I say, we're going to look at verses 9 to 12. You'll remember that the book of Zechariah begins with a series of eight fantastic visions that Zechariah saw in the course of one night. And we looked at all of those uh, visions, although It's been over quite a a long period of time. We've gradually worked our way through them. But try to imagine that you were in Zechariah's shoes. You've just seen these eight fantastic visions in rapid succession in one night. No doubt your mind is, is spinning and reeling. What what you've managed to understand with the help of the angel who was with you has thrilled you and amazed you. The rest has puzzled you, but you're in no doubt that it's all wonderful and glorious. So what are you going to do next? How will you respond to these amazing visions that you've seen? Well, Zechariah didn't have to face that question, because we read uh, in chapter 6 verse 9, and the word of the Lord came to me. You see, the visions had ended, but the Lord continued to speak to him. Previously, when the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, we've been given a very exact date. It's been fixed very clearly. And the same will be true. In chapter 7, once again, the Lord, the word of the Lord will come and we're given a very precise date. But here, no date is given. So it seems that this took place immediately after the visions. It could well have been on the very same night. And in the rest of chapter 6, the Lord is really um, stating what the central message of, of the visions have been and is telling Zechariah, How he's to proceed, now he's seen them. In verses 10 to 11, he tells Zechariah what to do. And we find that he's to conduct a coronation. In verses 12 to 13, he tells Zechariah what to say. And we find that he's to make a pronouncement. And then in verses 14 to 15, uh, he tells Zechariah what was going to follow. Now we'll leave that point until we're, we're next in Zechariah, but for this morning we'll consider the first of those two points about what Zechariah was to do, and what Zechariah was to say. So firstly, let's see what Zechariah was to do. Verses 10 and 11, uh, we see a series of themes there that the Lord tells Zechariah to do, and it's to culminate in this coronation of, of Joshua. Uh, We read, take from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Jephaniah, Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. So the first thing that the Lord told Zechariah to do was to take from the exiles who had returned from Babylon. So these three had returned from exile in Babylon and Zechariah was told to take from them. The Hebrew text in this verse doesn't say what what was to be taken from them, but the NIV says take silver and gold from the exiles. Um, Although that's not mentioned in verse 10, that seems a right understanding because verse 11 goes on to say... Take from them silver and gold. Now, it would have been commonplace at that time for people arriving back from from captivity in Babylon to come bearing gifts that had been sent by those who remained behind as a contribution towards uh, the, the rebuilding of the temple. So it seems that these three had just arrived with such a donation to the building fund. They'd not yet handed it over to the building committee or whoever was responsible for for handling the building funds. Uh, And the Lord told Zechariah to go and take it from them. Now the New King James Version says receive the gift, which gives the impression that he was to accept it from them. But the Hebrew word uh, it is really used not in the sense of passively receiving but of actively taking so the Lord told Zechariah to, to intervene to, to intercept this gift and lay hold of the gold, the, the silver and gold now you can almost think of this as being a hijack, you can imagine Zechariah like, being like a highwayman and saying, "Stand of the liver and grabbing the loot That's the surprising instruction that the Lord gave to Zechariah. Well, I say the surprising instruction. It's one of several surprising instructions. The next thing the Lord told Zechariah to do was go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. So having taken hold of this silver and gold, Zechariah was to take it to the house of someone called Josiah. Um, he was told to go the same day, so he was to act quickly. Probably that was so that the silver and gold could be used before uh, Helgi, Tobager and Judiah could report that it had been that it had been taken. It all sounds very cloak and dagger, doesn't it? Zechariah was to pull off a heist, and then he was to uh, go and fence the loot with this um, this guy called Josiah. Now, we don't actually know who Josiah was, but in view of what uh, Zechariah was told to do next, it seems likely that he was a metal worker. Because in verse 11, we see that having taken the silver and gold uh, and handed it over to Josiah, the Lord told Zechariah to make a crown. You can well imagine that at this time when every penny was needed, Uh, towards the rebuilding of the temple people would be pretty annoyed they'd take a pretty dim view if they knew that Zechariah had appropriated this silver and gold that had been donated uh, for the rebuilding of the temple and used it to make something as useless and frivolous as a crown they didn't even have a king what good was a crown? But strange as it might seem, that's exactly what the Lord told Zechariah to do. Stranger still was what the Lord then told Zechariah to do with the crown. Continuing in verse 11, we read that he was to set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehosadak, the high priest. Now we've seen previously in Zechariah that, that Joshua was indeed the high priest. At that time. But this instruction to crown him was strange because priests weren't crowned. Priests were the kings. I remember that Joshua, the high priest, had featured back in the fourth one of the visions, back in chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. You see, a turban, that was priestly headgear, not a crown. So this coronation depicted a priest being made a king. And that would have made no sense at all to anyone witnessing it, because a priest being made a king, it was not only unprecedented, it was actually an impossibility. Why do I say that? Well, priests were from the tribe of Levi. That was what the law required. That was stipulated. Uh, kings, on the other hand, were descendants of David, and therefore from the tribe of Judah. So a priest could never be a king. A king could never be a priest. It was out of the question. And yet Zechariah was told to do the impossible and crown a priest. Very strange. Now, Why? why? What did this signify? Well, something of the significance of what he was told to do becomes a bit clearer Mm. as we go on to see what Zechariah was to say. So in verses uh, 12 and 13 we read, And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build... Uh, the temple of the Lord it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honour and shall sit and rule on his throne and there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both <coughs> firstly notice who Zechariah was told uh, uh, t- told to say this to he was told to say to him that, that is to to Joshua Zechariah was to address his words to the priest who had just been crowned uh, as the Lord had instructed. Next notice whose words Zechariah was to say. It was thus says the Lord of hosts. So he was to speak God's words to the priest who had just been crowned. As we go on to look at that word of the Lord that Zechariah was to say to Joshua, we'll see that it explained Uh, The identity and activity and the purpose of the, the priest who had been crowned. So firstly, what was he told to say about the identity of the priest who was crowned? Zechariah was to start by making the pronouncement, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. He's saying that to Joshua, that that is, then say to Joshua, as crowned Joshua, he was to say to him, behold the man whose name is the branch. So he wasn't saying that Joshua was the branch, Uh, he wasn't saying to those round about, to, to any onlookers, Joshua is the branch. No, he said to Joshua, behold the branch. Well, what Zechariah was to say meant that the the act of crowning Joshua, the high priest, as though he was a king, represented the man who is the branch. And that's in keeping with what we saw back in the fourth vision, Uh, back in chapter 3 and verse 8. The Lord said that Joshua and his associates are men who are a sign, or the NIV. Uh, puts that main symbolic of what is to come. What was to come? Well, still in, in that chapter, uh, verse verse 8, he went on to say, I will bring my servant the branch. So the branch is the servant of the Lord Almighty. He was to be sent by the Lord Almighty. And this act of crowning Joshua symbolised that one who was to come, who would be both priest and king. That the point of this symbolic crowning of Joshua was to draw attention to the coming Messiah. And that being the the point uh, of the whole series of visions. They pointed beyond the immediate rebuilding of an earthly temple there in Jerusalem. They showed the need for the Messiah and declared the fact that the Messiah would come and that he would build a far better, a far greater temple. And notice that Zechariah was to say, behold the man whose name is the branch. The NIV is a bit weak here. It says, here is the man who is the branch. Um, but this statement is not just a piece of interesting information. It's a it's an exhortation to, to, to look to him, to look for him, to admire him. It's exactly what the New Testament says about Jesus, isn't it? You remember uh, in John chapter 129 John the Baptist, as he saw Jesus coming uh, and what were his words? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't just say, oh look here, here comes the Lamb of God. It wasn't Look look and see, it was Behold. Behold the Lamb of God. It's a message to look to him and admire him and marvel at him. And we're exalted, aren't we, to to fix our eyes on Jesus. The message is still, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Not not now as the Messiah yet to come, but as the Saviour who has come and, and will come again as king of kings and lord of lords. So Zechariah was to identify the man depicted as the the branch, as the coming Messiah. Well, next uh, we see what he was to say about the activity of the priest who was crowned. We see that he was to, to speak of the activity of the branch As we continue in verse 12, um, he was to say a whole series of things about the branch and what he would do. So continuing in verses 12 and into 13, we read, For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honour, and shall sit and rule on the throne, and there shall be a priest on the throne. You can't miss it, can you? It's it's all about him. It's all about the branch. He shall, not 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 someone else, not himself some, just someone else. The exhortation is to behold him alone. He's the only one who is worth beholding. But then notice, too, that we've repeatedly read, he shall. And that tells us that he's not simply to be beheld as a wondrous sight. That He's active. He has work to do. We're to behold not only who he is, but also what he does. And that word shall, well, it tells us that at that time, his coming and carrying out his work was yet future. It was, it was yet to come, and the work was yet to be done. But the word "shall" also spoke of of certainty. Yeah. He hasn't come yet, but he will. He he would he would come. He would do this work. And it spoke of, of success. Mm-hmm. It was the Lord Himself who was saying that the branch would come and do these things. Well, let's look a bit more closely. At what Zechariah was to say that the man whose name is the branch would do. Firstly, he was to say, he shall branch out from his place. That's a peculiar expression, not, not easy to interpret. Um, some commentators liken, uh, liken it to the words in Isaiah 53 three two that say of, of the suffering servant, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Which is really referring to the obscure and humble earth origins of Jesus. But I'm inclined to think that the words that Zechariah was to speak were intended to convey something else. What was his place? Well, Jesus was born as a Jew in the land of Israel. Surely, in earthly terms, that was his place. And Zechariah was told to to say that the branch would branch out from there. He wouldn't be limited or, or confined to Israel. He would spread out from there and in doing so would build the temple of the Lord. Next, Zechariah was to re-emphasise that the branch would build the temple of the Lord. We see that at the beginning of verse 13. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. Now, the people were engaged in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, but this is the temple that's being referred to here. We've already been told that the temple in Jerusalem would be completed by Zerubbabel. Uh, chapter 4 verse 8 said, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hand shall also complete it and in due course it was completed that that came to pass very soon afterwards but the true temple of the Lord would be built by the man whose name uh, is the branch when he branches out from his place this is looking forward to the time spoken of in chapter 2, verse 11, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in their midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That the temple of the Lord that was to be built by the branch is the church of Jesus Christ that has spread throughout the world. Not an ornate temple in Jerusalem Not some grand English cathedral. Not even a former gift shopping opera. It's something far greater. It's a a spiritual building consisting of of living stones. Uh, And those stones are, are people who have come to Jesus Christ. It's made clear in 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 5. As you come to him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The next thing Zechariah was to say about the branch was, and he shall bear royal honour and shall sit and rule on his throne. Zechariah was to spell it out with unmistakable clarity. The man whose name is the branch would be king. And a a real king, a real king with power. Not not just a a figurehead, not merely a a constitutional monarch. No, he would rule on his throne. And you can see why the Jews in Jesus' day were expecting a messiah who was going to be a, a conquering king who would come and boot out the Romans can't you? but you see just as he'd come to build a spiritual temple so he'd come as a spiritual king and to exercise spiritual rule over his people and then Zechariah was to say and there shall be a priest on his throne and that confirms what we thought the crowning of Joshua depicted, doesn't it? No man in Israel could be both priest and king, but the branch would be. How could that be possible? Well, the answer's already been given through David in Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power, in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn, and I will and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. is looking forward to Jesus being king, but he's also a priest forever. That's the man whose name is the branch. He came as the man we know is Jesus. That's unmistakable, isn't it? The branch would branch out from his place, and Jesus has been preached in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The branch would build the temple of the Lord, and Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The branch would sit and rule on his throne. And King Jesus as head of his church now, and eventually uh, all things will be put under him. The branch would be a priest on his throne. And the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that Jesus is a priest as well as a king, because he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So all that Zechariah was to say about the branch, and what the branch would do, leave us in no doubt that he was speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ and that thrills us because he's our saviour we know what he's done for us but those hearing Zechariah's words might have found it all a bit abstract and a bit theoretical you can well imagine them saying well that's quite interesting, you've got the time for it but we've got a temple to build so what was the purpose of the priest who was crowned. Well the last thing Zechariah was to say about the (coughs) branch was to state his objective. What he was going to achieve. There in in verse 13, second half of verse 13, Zechariah was to say, and the council of peace shall be between them both. The NIV renders that as, and there will be harmony between the two. Now the um, the meaning, the meaning there isn't immediately obvious. Uh, the word harmony doesn't appear in the original text. I think the NIV suggested that as a, a possible interpretation of a, a difficult phrase, and I tend to think it's got it wrong. Um, the ESD and New King James Version both say the same, and they're much more literal in saying, and the council of peace shall be between both. Uh, might be in more literal translation, but it's still not easy to understand. Um, given the preceding context, it seems reasonable to take it that then both or the two of them uh, refers to the offices of priest and king. So the question then is, how do we understand the council of peace between priest and king? Many commentators take it to be saying that the priest and king will speak uh, peacefully to one another. So we use the word council uh, in the context of, of speaking, of, of discussing. So they take it that uh, priest and king will, will speak uh, peacefully uh, with one another. They're taking counsel of peace to peaceful discussion. I'm not convinced by that interpretation. It makes the phrase a rather clumsy way of repeating pretty much what's already been stated. Um, It also gives the impression that before the offices of priest and king become united in one man, well, they're somehow at odds with one another and need to make peace with one another. That's helpful to realise that the word translated as council can also, mean plan or, or purpose. So, then of peace would speak of the objective of that plan or, or purpose. So, instead of peaceful discussion, council of peace could mean plan whose objective is to bring about peace. And in that case, between them both would not refer to a discussion between two parties. If you and I were to talk about something, you'd say there was a discussion between us. Words and thoughts and ideas would go back and forth between us. But if you and I were to work together, if we were to do a job together, well then you'd say that we did it between us. In that case, the word between has the sense of sharing together, in doing something, and of both being involved in something. And I think that's the sense here in this text. The idea is that the plan that brings about peace mm-hmm. involves and depends upon the branch being both priest and king. Mm-hmm. Zechariah was saying that the coming of the branch as priest and king would accomplish God's purpose to bring about peace. As we saw before, um, Jesus is a priest and in the order of Melchizedek. And that means he's a king as well as a priest. And we can read about Melchizedek in, in Hebrews 7. And in verse 1, we're told this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the most high. And then in verse 2, we're told what his name and title meant. First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. So Jesus is the king of peace. As priest and king of righteousness he has fulfilled the plan that brings about peace. Remember what the angels said uh, when they announced the birth of Jesus in in Luke 2.14 they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What was the peace that they were announcing? Well, we're told in Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through the branch, through the, 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 the priest and king. It's the peace with God that comes as a result of being justified through faith in Christ. So Zechariah's message uh, for, 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 for fulfilling the, the plan of peace was, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Same message expressed today, isn't it? As for peace with God, behold the man whose name is Jesus. Mm. Trust him as your priest and serve him as mm. your king.